0: Well, good morning, Brian Bible Church. It's a blessing to be able to come share God's Word with you. What a delight we have. What a treasure in the church. So we're going to talk about this morning, the church. Specifically, we're going to talk about growing. In your bulletin, you see there, uh, the title of today's sermon is, And You'll Grow, Grow, Grow. Simple little song, simple little reminder. We sing it to the children. How necessary is it? Well, we're going to look at and ask the question, is there, is there more? To our growth than just reading our bibles and praying every day as we look to that i want to consider our military veterans this last week we celebrated memorial day there's a special devotion to duty that and sacrifice that our, our military veterans have and appreciate those whose lives were lost in in service to our country it's along those lines that i want to look at a particular sect of of military veterans 61 weeks the equivalent of 14 months which is equal to 427 days, 61 weeks. This is the length of time required to make a man a Navy SEAL, 61 weeks of pain. If you begin the process, you're likely to be just one out of 10 who will finish, one out of 10. Should you complete the growth in training required to stay, you will join an incredibly elite force to the tune of about a total of 2,500 men, just 2,500 men. Interestingly enough, that represents about 1% of all active duty sailors in the Navy, about 1%, which the the naval personnel themselves at 320,000 people is one-tenth of 1% of the U.S. population. So when you think about that, we're talking about a pretty narrow group of people, a pretty small force. I could not be a Navy SEAL. Could not do it. They have great faith in their ability They have an incredible desire. And and that quality about them, I really appreciate. I value that. But let me ask you this. They have great faith, right, in their ability. They have great faith. Do you think that over their time in training, their faith grows? How does their faith grow? What makes a Navy SEAL's faith grow? They probably come in with some doubts, I would imagine. We've seen the videos, the training Uh, regiment that they end up running through. They're put through incredible diving operations, swimming, log lifting, small boat lifting, from all the artillery uh, exercises to the physical combat. They probably have some reservations in their own person, even before joining, and even while they're in training, about their ability to complete these things. Yet, their desire Their desire is so strong that they continue to say, yes, I will, at each part of the rigorous training. And get this, they say it in light of how they feel at the moment. Isn't that interesting? 61 weeks, 427 days of continuing to say, yes, I will, even if they don't feel like it. And I believe that their faith does grow. Through the trying and through the testing, their faith does grow. They get a greater sense of confidence in their abilities. And by the end, that scared recruit that might've started, that young man who is likely between the ages of 17 and 28, he's awarded a trident, that massive pin that sits on the lapel of a Navy SEAL. And he has an incredible amount of muscle and extreme confidence, all in his own self-abilities. Faith has grown in self over this period of time. Is that for us? We want to grow faith, Right? But do we want to grow faith in self? Is that where our faith is going to grow? As believers, we have no confidence in the flesh. But do we want our faith to grow? Yes, we do. We sing the song, right? There is something to learn here in what the Navy SEALs go through. The song says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Is that it? Is that all there is to our faith? If you just take off from here and go tuck yourself into the corner at home and read and pray... Is that the extent of the faith that you have? Or does your faith grow in other ways? Does faith grow greater in other ways than reading and praying alone? Pastor Eric has been faithfully expositing the text through the book of James, which means that you've heard a lot lately about joy in trials. You've heard a lot about joy in trials. And Pastor Eric said, God wants to see your faith growing even if it's forged in trials. So if we have read your Bible pray every day, We have reading, we have prayer, and now we have trials. We have these three. What else can cause our faith to grow? Well, if you allow me to launch from last week's message, verses 17 and 18 of James, we were told that God is a giver of good gifts and that one of his gifts is salvation. And these two truths point us to an incredible thing that God is doing. You see, in in the blessing that God has given to us, the salvation that He's given to us. He's given it to not just one, but to many. And the collection of the many is what we have today, what we call the church. There's an incredible blessing that God's given in the church. His goodness is shown in His ability to gather us from this area, from up and down miles of the coast, to gather us in this one central place, giving us this church, giving us this church, this body of believers. The church is His goodness plus salvation. And the church is the soil in which you will grow, grow, grow. Growth in your faith is uniquely tied to participation in the local church. So this morning, I want to answer the question, how do you grow your faith in the local church? Not growing your faith in the local church itself, but your personal faith. How does your personal faith grow as you participate in the local church? And I want you to see that growing in faith is an incredibly inside-the-church activity. And that even being inside the church, it's also highly personal. It's a highly personal activity. Growing in faith gets personal because it involves life-on-life training. It doesn't look quite like the military training where you have a drill instructor two inches away from your nose, or maybe an inch and a half. It's not quite like that, but it is life-on-life, and it is in close proximity. Let me first tell you about the opportunity that we're going to have this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to look at three essentials of faith growth in the local church. Three essentials of faith growth, your faith growth that happens in the local church. What are these three essentials? I want to tell you first where I got these from. These three essentials jump off of a list that Pastor John MacArthur put together when he was talking about marks of an effective church marks of an effective church. There's 11 marks of an effective church. I'm not going to teach through all 11 marks of an effective church. Might help to do a bit of a a recap though. And he says this, if you have an effective church, you've got these things going on for you. If you have an effective church, you have godly leadership. You have Bible teaching and preaching. You have made evangelistic inroads into your community. You have those things going on. That's three. And then you see among your members, you see sacrificial members you see that they're devoted to the family. They're devoted to family. Worship they have is is of uncompromising integrity in an effective church. An effective church also is willing to change. And an effective church has great faith, great faith at what God is doing. That's 8 of the 11 if you're if you're counting along with me. But let's stop right there at great faith because that's what we're talking about this morning, right? How to grow our faith. How does your faith move and grow so that you understand God more, you understand His plan more, and you can understand the challenges and circumstances of your life better? Great faith is what we want. Great faith is what the Navy SEALs got through training, through trials. And it seems to me that faith grows in training. It grows through training. This sure was the case for the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out in Luke 10, was it not? They returned with greater faith after Jesus had sent them out for training. And consider for a moment how essential these last three marks of an effective church are. I'm going to read them to you in just a moment. But also consider how they uniquely cause growth in faith. Ready for these last three of the 11 marks These last three will kind of guide us through the morning to understand growing in our faith. And they are these. The last three marks of an effective church are active church membership, discipleship, and concern for one another. I'll read it again. Active church membership, discipleship, and concern for one another. We're going to open those up and walk through those in just a minute. But these last three marks of an effective church There are also three essentials of faith growth as you live in the context of a local church. This is essential faith growth happening right here when you talk about actively being a church member, being discipled, and having concern for one another. And what I need you to see this morning, I need you to see this, is that your spiritual growth is tied and twisted up and and beautifully entangled with the growth and the effectiveness of the church. The two go hand in hand. So let's look at these together. They were the final three marks of the effective church. And this morning, there are three essentials of faith growth in the local church. Active church membership, discipleship, and concern for one another. Our question for this morning, how do you grow in your faith, is going to be answered by these three essentials. The essentials, they start off with our understanding, though, right, of of, uh, James 1, 17 and 18, that God is the one who's good always. He is the good giver. And as the good giver, he has doubled down and he's given you salvation. So we read our Bibles and we pray every day. We understand that reading and praying, that's like water. That's like getting water to our soul. We have a desire to read and a desire to pray because it floods us and it washes us and cleanses us like water does. Trials in life, they're like the scorching sun, but they also give us heat, but they require more water. But then from those things. Obedience becomes a desire. And if obedience is a great desire, then finding a body of believers becomes a desire as well, which is why you're here. And it is here in the local church that you will grow. So we'll spend our time this morning learning just how to grow, grow, grow in our faith right here in the local church. So begin with number one the active church membership that you need that will help to grow your faith. The first essential of faith growth in the local church is active church membership. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have already stood and read with Pastor Eric through Hebrews chapter 10. Particularly verses 24 and 25, they say to us these these things. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These commands are clear. The expectation from Scripture is that you gather together and that you practice the love of Christ among one another. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives us such an incredibly clear picture of the church and how its members function. We'll begin reading at verse 14. We'll read through 18. Consider the picture and the imagery that, that Paul is using here for the Corinthians. He says in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an ear, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members of each of them in the body just as He desired. God has placed each member in the body just as He desired. God placed you here with us. It's our d- delight. It's our joy to share in this fellowship with one another. You belong here. Your, your growth in faith will happen here. One great way to show that you belong is through membership, through membership. Yes, we believe in membership in church membership as the shepherds of, of this church, of this flock. We believe we have an obligation to identify who the members are so we know who we're shepherding. This isn't a complicated practice, church membership. You don't think twice about a Costco membership. You don't, you don't think twice about it. Everyone's got one of those plastic cards in their pocket right now. I know you guys. Yeah. Nor did you have a problem registering your iPhone to iTunes in the iCloud so you can have iTime in Instagram. You don't have a problem with that either. You're more than happy to give all your information away so that they can contact you by email right away to fix your password. You understand membership. Membership is a simple recognition that you are with us and that we want to be your shepherds and that you want to be shepherded by us and that you will use your talents among us and that you agree theologically with us so that we don't have wolves walking around in sheep's clothing. So membership is necessary, but also necessary is active church membership, active church membership. You can turn in your Bibles just over to Ephesians for me, chapter 4. I've heard pastors and lay leaders make disparaging comments in kind of a grumbling tone that sound like this. They say, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work at church, and that might well be the case at their church. I would pray, and heaven forbid it ever be the case, that that's what happens here at Berean Bible Church. There are two factors that go into active church membership. Number one is your desire to be a member, to be recognized, and to serve. The second is the equipping of the members by the elders and the leaders of the church. So you have these two things working together, the one's desire and the other's work of service to labor in a discipleship so that we can train those who have a desire to participate in the church. Read with me from Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, and Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and, to, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This text says that we will be a group of leaders who equip the saints for the work of ministry. That there will be a group who lead the church, but they equip the saints to do the work of ministry. There's a, a union here. There's a partnership here. There's a working together here. The leaders will prepare you for the work of service. And I believe that one of the primary ways of influence, is through a pulpit ministry. It starts here. It starts with listening to the Word of God declared, expounded, and explained so that it sinks into your heart. If you're being taught the truth of Scripture, it should inside of you produce conviction. You will not allow yourself to sit idle. You will not allow yourself to be impotent in the church. The equipping of the members comes not only in a scripture-driven attack of your desires, but also in training for completion of tasks. You need training. We want to train you. Leaders and shepherds will seek to know the flock, their gifts and their talents, and train them up for the work of ministry accordingly. And this training, this getting to know one another, it can only happen through regular faithful active attendance, regular faithful active attendance. And now you're wondering, or you should be, how does active church membership make my faith grow? If I come and and do what you're suggesting, Oliver, and, and I sit in the pew and I make it from event to event, how does my faith grow in doing that? I hope you ask that question. It's a great question. How does active church membership make your personal faith grow? Here's how. One word. Active church membership makes your faith grow in obedience. Obedience. God has always wanted from His people, He has wanted obedience. What does a father want from a son more than anything else? Does life work better when you have children who obey you? Well, how is God any different? You go back to the Garden of Eden, you've got Adam and Eve, and what did God want from them? After He had given them the commandment that they needed to live by, He wanted obedience. Noah and building the ark, obedience. Abraham and the testing with his son Isaac, obedience. David and Solomon and all the kings of Israel and Judah, what is He looking for? Obedience. God has always wanted obedience from humanity who bears His very image. He wants obedience from us. When we obey Him, we prove we belong to Him. Not just to ourselves do we prove this, but we prove this also to others as well. I want want to read this to you so you can see it. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. It is not the case that fallen, sin-filled human beings choose naturally to obey God. They don't. You don't. Something has to happen. Fallen, sinful human beings continually rebel against God. That's a known quantity. If you drive down the beach yesterday, as my family did, you get the opportunity to see human beings sin-filled, continually rebelling against God. It happens on dirt bikes, it happens in the ocean, on surfboards. It's happened up and down. The, there's all kinds of opportunities. Even at the car show, therefore, being found in obedience to God demands recognition that a significant event and change has happened, that you really do have a new nature. And your obedience shows you just how much God has changed your will and how powerful He is to conform you to His will, to His will. Here in Philippians, Paul tells them how he's conducting his life. And he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in verse 27, Paul tells the Philippians how they are to live their lives And he tells them why. Pay close attention with me here as I read this. I don't want you to miss this point. Paul's turning the conversation to instruct the Philippians specifically after telling them the way he lives his life. And he says this to them. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of them, for their destruction, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. If you're p- paying attention to what's happening in this text, when you stand firm in one spirit and set your mind on striving for the gospel, two signs happen, right? If you obey Paul and you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, two signs happen. Number one, your enemies get a sign. They get a picture of their destruction. Why? Because of their wicked rebellion and their sinfulness and their lack of thankfulness to God. You show it, they don't. It becomes a sign for them, that contrast, that difference. Next, you get a sign, a demonstration, a proof of your salvation. You get a proof of your salvation. You know, this is just like the Navy SEALs when they're going through training. As they're doing, they're growing. Their training is growing them. And here, for the Philippians, the doing of living a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is proof to them of their salvation. Let's take it a step further. Active church membership grows your faith in this, it grows it in good works. Your faith grows in good works. I saw a couple of you look funny at me. He mentioned good works. Where are we going, Oliver? What's this good works talk all about? Yeah, good works. Good works. Coming soon to a pulpit near you, this one indeed. Pastor Eric's going to teach on good works from James. You get a good opportunity to hear the text of James exposit. I'm going to read it to you here, though. James asked an incredible question in James 2.14. He says... What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? The obvious answer that's begged of this question is no, no. Faith without works cannot save anyone. Interesting, huh? Turn to Ephesians 2.10. Martin Luther said this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves is never alone. I'm going to prove this to you. What accompanies faith? What accompanies faith? What joins faith? What gathers steam and momentum with faith? Good works. I submit to you that good works done by genuine believers are simply acts of obedience, which God loves. Read with me from Ephesians 2, verse 10. And before we do, just think in your mind, and maybe it's there on your scriptures. Maybe you've got it highlighted. And it's so critical because you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Ephesians four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 6, 7, 8, 9, right? It's right there on your page, right? But once you get to Ephesians 10, you find out what you're saved unto. Read this with me after being saved by grace alone through faith alone, we must understand Ephesians 2.10, which says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do You realize that sitting here right now, participating in this service, this worship act to God, is part of The good works that God prepared from beforehand that you're to walk in. Right now, we're doing it collectively together. This is the good works, part of them. Active church membership is is one of many good works God prepared beforehand. Being active in obedience to Him through our active church membership. And obedience proves God's power. How many people are not sitting in here right now? How many people have come to Pismo Beach for this weekend that are not sitting in here right now? The ones that are sitting in here are proving the power of God. And in proving the power of God, your faith grows. Your faith grows. Do you see how beautifully he has planned this? Do you see how your active church membership grows your faith? It also builds up this church which Christ is the head of, and he loves to be built up and to see all of us built up in him. So this is a wonderful place that we found ourselves. And the question would for you would go like this. Are you a member here or anywhere else? Are you a member of a church? Do you qualify your membership with this word, this adjective, active? Is your membership active? Is it alive? Active membership is an obedience issue to God. Boy, I wish I heard that about 20 years ago. Active church membership is an obedience issue to God. Are you obeying God? Let's take a look at the next one. What else can grow our faith? What are the next opportunities we have to grow our faith in a local church context? Pastor Eric had mentioned this earlier. The word is discipleship, discipleship. The second essential of faith growth in the local church is that we plug in with discipleship relationships. One common saying in the Navy was, every day is a training day. Every day is a training day. There's no time that can be lost. Like Sunday evenings at six o'clock, we'll see you later tonight. There's no time that can be lost. We want to train you. And in the Navy, there was constantly a need to have men trained, because people were always taking orders to head off into the fleet to somewhere else, and we were always receiving a host of new sailors onto the ship, these guys that came fresh off the bus, greenhorns, which is hunting terminology, in case you don't know. And these greenhorns, these fresh new guys, they needed training immediately. They needed to have training. They needed to learn the basics of the ship, its engines, its weapons, its communications, even basic order and protocol to board the ship let alone what it takes and what it looks like to get the ship underway and, and going and firefighting drills. And we practice active shooter drills and, uh, every day as well. The Greenhorns had a, had a run-in though when they first showed up. They had a run-in with a senior chief. Usually one of the senior chiefs would come and, and find one of the new guys right away. They have a, a, a squirrely look in their eye, a little untamed look in their eye. And the senior chiefs can just walk right up and kind of grab them by the neck and say, come over here. We don't grab anybody by the necks here. <laughs> just but the senior chief would. I had a nice senior chief, a great great guy, Senior Chief Demag. He came and found me when I showed up at the ship, and I was as green as they come. He walked me all over that ship. I'll never forget the times we spent in dry dock, walking up and down the ship, and he just took all of his time, two, three hours, walking me through the ship in the evening, just walking from one place to the next, explaining all he could, knowing that I was only going to retain 10% of it, <laughs> if that. We have to do it all over again, but he was more than willing. He was a real blessing to me. This is is what your elders want to be for you. This is who the elders and the leadership of the church and the lay leaders and and the deacons, they want to be this for you. They they want to be that senior chief in your life that shows you what Christianity is about, what life in the church is about. Disciplers, our, our job is to train you up to understand the faith and to teach you to teach your children who can also then teach the next generation as well. Listen to the way that Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, 2, verse 2, 2, 2, 2, 2. Timothy. Paul says this. It's a four-generation plan. Listen, as, as he, this four-generation plan. He says this. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a four-generation plan for instruction, for teaching. You know, as Pastor Eric said earlier, discipleship is for every Christian. This is not something that you hear about and then you duck and and head off somewhere else with your faith. This is is for you. We we want this for you. We're paying attention to your lives. If this is something that you don't want, then it might require that I ask you out to lunch and say, hey, you know, I'm just watching your life. Maybe at some point in time, you'd be interested in, in doing this, or maybe you'd be interested in doing that. Because it's an obedience issue, and we want you growing in your faith. So are you being discipled? Not all spiritual relationships are discipleship relationships. You know, just because you pick up the phone and talk to your brother two hours every month doesn't mean that he's discipling you or that you're discipling him. It's not a phone call. It's not a conversation like that. It's not even meeting with a group of guys for breakfast. It's not even that that's not a discipling relationship. Discipleship is intentional. It's intentional. It's specific. It has a goal and an aim in mind and and a great purpose. You know, Senior Chief DeMeg, he wanted me to be able to, to lead a damage control station in general quarters in the event of a shipboard fire. And you may not even know what I just said. I didn't know either. I didn't know either. But you know what? When our ship caught on fire halfway in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, I quickly found out just what Senior Chief Demeg was doing all along. I was trained, and I reported to my general quarters station, and I learned how to lead the men in that locker so we could go fight the fire on the ship. He trained me to do it. For your faith to grow and for the church to be effective, discipleship must be intentional, and it must have these three purposes— Discipleship's got to have these three purposes. These are three purposes of discipleship. Number one, discipleship has to teach truth. Discipleship has to teach truth. Men of God want to get the Word of God to others, and they want to do it accurately. Faithful elders know the Word of God and all of its power, and we want to create times and opportunities to prove the power of the Word of God and to teach the power of the Word of God. The second purpose for discipleship is to apply the Scripture to life. You teach the truth, and then you apply the Scripture to life. The Bible is incredibly practical. You know, it's so beautifully, it divides the whole of life into, into two situations. Either you're bringing honor to God on a daily basis, or you're being honor to self. Those are your two choices. I mean, it's so, so nice. Psalm 1 just cuts it so quick. Honor God, honor self. Glorify God, glorify self. A true discipler wants to get you to see through that lens of Scripture, through the lens of Scripture, to apply the Bible to your own life. Scripture lenses. What do do I mean by saying Scripture lens? The lens of Scripture, the worldview of Scripture. Consider the pain that you're in today. Everybody has pain. You're in pain today in some way or another. could be physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, relational pain. It could be caused by the person you're sitting next to. Yeah, that person, (laughs) elbow them. It could be caused by the government or your boss. It could be financial pain. Now, while you're thinking about your pain, consider seeing it through the lens of Scripture. Can your mind think, as you're thinking about your pain, can your mind think about Romans 8.28? What does it say? Can you see the? Can you see the Romans eight twenty eight? Can you see it on your in, in, the, in your mind's eye? Can you see the scriptures? God is causing all things together for the good of the, to work together for the good of those who love Him. Can you see it in your mind? Can can your mind think about Hebrews twelve that God disciplines those whom He loves? Can Can you see through your pain? Can you see and think about 1 Peter two twenty that we're called to suffer like Christ, even when we do the right thing. We can expect suffering, and that's a glorifying thing to God. Can you, can you, in your mind's eye, can you think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, yeah, your faith's going to be tested, but in the testing, God will always provide, in the means of the testing, a means of escape. Can you think in your mind's eye, Well, you're, you're holding on to that pain, can you think about Matthew six thirty three, where Christ says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things of life will be added unto you. Can you put on that Scripture lens that that sees Scripture first, regardless of what happens in life? What about what James says when he says, count it all joy? Yeah, you wanted to take that sermon a couple weeks back and pitch that out. No, 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 no. Take that and put it right at the forefront of your mind. Is your delight first in the law of the Lord? Do you meditate on His law day and night? Boy, go to the word picture in Psalm 1 and see what He does to the person that meditates on His word day and night. He has a plan and a purpose in all things, including your pain. Do you apply this truth to your life? A discipleship relationships helps you see this, see life through the lens of Scripture, through Scripture glasses applying Scripture to life. And third, for a discipleship relationship, a discipler helps to solve problems biblically. You've heard it said, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for the the day. But if you teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Discipleship should give you tools to handle all of life, not just get you out of one trying situation. The discipleship process is completed when the disciple can solve problems biblically on their own and even go beyond that and have become disciplers themselves of other people. And I want you to think for a second of how backward that is to our secular form of solving problems. A lot of our secular forms of solving problems, even churches will say, oh, we don't counsel here. You need to go out for that. We refer out. This was a real problem in the 60s and 70s and 80s. It remains this way today. Why would a pastor refer out on problems of life? Why would a pastor refer out, particularly on spiritual problems? Someone has anxiety. Does a pastor know how to handle an anxiety situation or complaint from someone? Or do you need to refer out? Who are they referring out to, by the way? Who do they refer out to? Psychologists and psychiatrists, exactly right. You go to a psychologist and a psychiatrist, and it's a fee for service. $100, $150, maybe more. They have a vested interest then because it's their paycheck on the line of not offering permanent help, not offering permanent help. They have no problem telling you that your problem requires medication permanently, but they're not medical doctors and they are happy to solve your spiritual problem chemically. You talk about backwards. It doesn't get any more backwards than that. Spiritual problems require spiritual answers. That's what the scripture says. Which only require biblical truth being applied. That's what we need, right? Biblical truth being applied. So they make a great living off of inadequate counsel. That should bother us. But here at Berean, what is the cost of a one hour session? A one hour session. Anybody that's ever had a session with me knows it goes well beyond one hour. (laughs) What's the cost of a one hour session here? It's absolutely free. Why is it free? Counseling at the church is free because salvation is free, because the Word of God is free, because wisdom is free. It is a stewardship that we love to give away for free. Along with counseling, we give our lives. We give our lives to the people that that labor with us day and night. We'll labor alongside of you. I don't have a problem making appointment over the dinner time that I have at my, my house, because the, the church will work that out with me, we'll make that work out. When do you need to see me? Let, let's talk. Let's, let's make that happen. We give our lives so that the truth of the Word of God will go in, and that trust in God alone will be produced. Have you been in a true discipleship relationship? Have you ever been in a true discipleship relationship? Have you had a mentor who teaches you truth, how to apply it so you can solve problems biblically? If not, why not? Don't you also have a responsibility to go and ask and seek help, to seek counsel? And if so, if you have been discipled, then are you now discipling another person in the truths of Scripture? In discipleship, the church will become more effective And your faith will grow as you see how relevant the Word of God is to every aspect of your life. Discipleship informs your faith, and your faith, when it's accurately informed, causes you to grow, causes your faith to grow, your understanding of God and His purposes for this life. Well, my third and and final point, the third essential of faith growth in the local church is, is a beautiful one. It's a beautiful one. Concern for one another concern for one another. You've got your Bible open there. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Certainly you've heard the term Sunday Christian. This name has been given to supposed believers who come in, sit down, get up, and walk out on Sunday morning. They have a type of religiosity about them that makes them reverent for the day of worship and the hour of worship, but their heart is not connected to the church body at all. And I call them Supposed believers, because if you're given you have one mark of salvation and one essential of, of growth in faith is that you have a continual concern for the children of God. That's that's one mark of salvation, is that you have a continual concern, that you have love for the brothers, right? Love for the brothers, care and concern for one another. First Corinthians 12. We'll continue reading where we left off, starting at verse 19. And if they were all one member where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The imagery of the body here is so powerful, as Paul is describing how you and I fit in, how we fit in. And in fitting into the body of Christ, we must realize God's design for us to work together and to care for one another. The one body speaks of great unity, right? Unity of purpose, unity of design, but the many members speak to diversity. This is quite a diverse audience that we're sitting in. Who could possibly have arranged and orchestrated that this mass diversity across life and spectrum would would gather at this time to do the praising of God? God alone would design that for the unity and the diversity. We do well to keep Paul's exhortation to the Philippians in in mind here in chapter 2 when he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He goes on to say, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. The call here is to humility, and beyond humility, the call is to thoughtfulness of others ahead of self. This is self sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is what will build this body. It will also, self-sacrifice will build your faith, will grow your faith. Your growth in faith will be seen in your practice of putting others ahead of yourself. Because again, just like church membership, self-sacrifice is an obedience issue. It's an obedience issue. How many scriptures talk about what believers are to do for one another? The Greek word here, you'll never forget it, it's all alone. All alone. That's what, all alone. But it's not that, right? It's togetherness. This is one anotherness. All alone, all alone, appears in the Bible a hundred times in the New Testament. I want you to consider with me some of the many things that we're called to in regard to the one another's as believers. I'll just read through this list. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble against one another. Don't bite, devour, or consume one another. Gently, and patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. These are commands, right? Be, do, be, do, you, right? Me too. Jesus repeatedly said, love one another. Give preference to one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. You know, hopefully in reading this list, you can feel and see and sense the love and the joy of this community that Christ and the apostles are trying to put together. We are not people who are content with coming, sitting, listening, and leaving. Now, if that's you today and you're going to take off and go to your car right after we leave, this was not... You, you, please, feel free to do that. No one's watching. We understand. You've got life to take care of. But rather, we, we preach this so that we can show the value of this community, show the value of the environment that the the Scripture authors wanted us to have, that we can have together as believers. These one another's create an incredible environment, do they not? If your conscience is burned to join us, then great. We love that preaching the Word informs the conscience and that the conscience burns and kicks back against the heart and, and causes different actions and desires. And I hope that you're asking, how does care for one another increase my faith? How does care for one another increase my faith? Okay. Well, just as before, you had obedience and good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to do, and those are positive ways that your faith has increased. But this caring for one another, it actually attacks the negative way, the negative way in which your faith is increased. The negative way is by attacking what's not happening or what will not be happening when you do it. Let me ask you this. What do you call a person who says one thing and does the opposite? They're called a hypocrite, right? Okay, so here we are as believers. We love the Lord Jesus Christ and he's got all these commands for us and you know them because I just read them out to you. These are all the commands of scriptures. So now if you know that you need to pray for one another, be hospitable to one another, serve one another, and you actively hang out around the church afterward to find out how you can pray for another brother and then you take it home in prayer, and you ask him over for hospitality time, and you figure out a way to serve him and pray for him, what are you no longer? What, what was removed from you at that point? If you know what to do and you don't do it, you're a hypocrite. But now if you're going to stay after, and you're going to be hospitable and serve and love and give to your brothers, you've matched your practice with your theology, right? So what, what is that? What, what falls off? What falls off? the charge of hypocrite. You can stand in the mirror and do your hair and brush your teeth and realize that you can't be charged hypocrite because you're actively participating in the fellowship at church. But to know, to have the theology and to know what's right to do and to not do it, brother, sister, you're sitting with tension in your life. This creates tension because you know what to practice, but your actual practice does not match it. That creates tension for you. And that tension places that label hypocrite right across your forehead. And what we want to do more than anything is to take this practice and to bump this up to the measure of your understanding and knowledge. But we always like a little tension, so we're going to keep feeding you more knowledge, more wisdom about Christ. Keep that tension there, but we don't want it lagging behind three and four and five years. There's great hurt in a life that is left with that tension. We want to see that tension go away. So consider your spiritual growth. Consider it when your practice matches your theology. Well, brothers and sisters, the song says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's very simplistic. As we mature, we must continue to understand God's ways and his plans for us. This includes trials, but he also wants us to grow through the local church. We've talked about what this looks like. You know, if the Navy SEALs are making an elite force, God is also making something that's very elite, and that is His church. And we do best to honor Him through our obedience by actively participating in this beautiful blessing that His goodness has given to us. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this time to study and consider Your Word. Would You bless this message and this understanding that we've been given that would pierce our hearts that where we are not obedient, Lord, that we would give to you and render unto you the obedience that is due your name, that we might glorify Christ all the more by participating with the fullness of our hearts in this wonderful, blessed fellowship you've created here at Berean Bible Church. Amen.